0: Book seven part two of the excursion by William Wordsworth. The churchyard among the mountains continued. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Among the humbler worthies at our feet lying insensible to human praise love or regret whose lineaments would next have been portrayed I guess not but it chanced that Near the quiet churchyard where we sate, a team of horses, with a ponderous freight pressing behind, adown a rugged slope, whose sharp descent confounded their array, came at that moment ringing noisily. "'Here,' said the pastor, "'do we muse and mourn the waste of death, and, lo, the giant oak stretched on his bier, that massy timber wane, nor fail to note the man who guides the team. He was a peasant of the lowest class. Gray locks profusely round his temples hung in clustering curls, like ivy, which the bite of winter cannot thin. The fresh air lodged within his cheek as light within a cloud, and he returned our greeting with a smile. When he had passed, the solitary spake, A man he seems of cheerful yesterdays and confident to-morrows, with a face not worldly-minded, for it bears too much of nature's impress, gaiety and health, freedom and hope, but keen withal, and shrewd. His gestures note, and hark, his tones of voice are all vivacious, as his mien and looks. The pastor answered, You have read him well. Year after year is added to his store with silent increase—summers, winters, past, past or to come. Yea, boldly might I say, ten summers and ten winters of a space that lies beyond life's ordinary bounds, upon his sprightly vigour cannot fix the obligation of an anxious mind. A pride in having, or a fear to lose, possessed like outskirts of some large domain, by any one more thought of than by him who holds the land in fee, its careless lord yet is the creature rational endowed with foresight hears too every sabbath day the christian promise with attentive ear nor will i trust the majesty of heaven reject the incense offered up by him though of the kind which beasts and birds present in grove or pasture cheerfulness of soul from trepidation and repining free how many scrupulous worshippers fall down upon their knees and daily homage pay less worthy less religious even, than his. This qualified respect—the old man's due—is paid without reluctance. But in truth," said the good vicar, with a fond half-smile, I feel at times a motion of despite towards one, whose bold contrivances and skill, as you have seen, bear such conspicuous part in works of havoc, taking from these veils, one after one, their proudest ornaments full oft his doings leave me to deplore tall ash-tree, sown by winds, by vapours nursed in the dry crannies of the pendant rocks. Light birch, aloft upon the horizon's edge, a veil of glory for the ascending moon, and oak whose roots by noontide dew were damped, and on whose forehead inaccessible the raven lodged in safety. Many a ship launched into Morkham Bay to him hath owed her strong knee-timbers, and the mast that bears the loftiest of her pendants. He, from park or forest, fetched the enormous axle-tree that whirls, how slow itself, ten thousand spindles, and the vast engine labouring in the mine, content with meaner prowess, must have lacked the trunk and body of its marvellous strength, if his undaunted enterprise had failed among the mountain coves yon household fir a guardian planted to fence off the blast but towering high the roof above as if its humble destination were forgot that sycamore which annually holds within its shade as in a stately tent on all sides open to the fanning breeze a grave assemblage seated while they shear the fleece encumbered flock the joyful elm around whose trunk the maidens dance in may and the lord's oak would plead their several rights in vain if he were master of their fate. His sentence to the axe would doom them all. But, green in age and lusty as he is, and promising to keep his hold on earth less, as might seem, in rivalship with men than with the forest's more enduring growth, his own appointed hour will come at last. And, like the haughty spoilers of the world, this keen destroyer, in his turn, must fall now from the living pass we once again from age the priest continued turn your thoughts from age that often unlamented drops and mark that daisied hillock three spans long seven lusty sons sate daily round the board of goldrill's side and when the hope had ceased of other progeny a daughter then was given the crowning bounty of the whole and so acknowledged with a tremulous joy fell to the centre of that heavenly calm with which by nature every mother's soul is stricken in the moment when her throes are ended, and her ears have heard the cry which tells her that a living child is born. And she lies conscious, in a blissful rest, that the dread storm is weathered by them both. The father, him at this unlooked-for gift a bolder transport seizes. From the side of his bright hearth, and from his open door, Day after day the gladness is diffused to all that come, almost to all that pass—invited, summoned, to partake the cheer spread on the never-empty board, and drink health and good wishes to his new-born girl, from cups replenished by his joyous hand. Those seven fair brothers variously were moved, each by the thoughts best suited to his years. But most of all, and with most thankful mind, the hoary grandsire felt himself enriched. A happiness that ebbed not, but remained to fill the total measure of his soul. From the low tenement, his own abode, whither, as to a little private cell, he had withdrawn from bustle, care, and noise, to spend the sabbath of old age in peace, once every day he duteously repaired to rock the cradle of the slumbering babe. For in that female infant's name he heard the silent name of his departed wife heart-stirring music hourly heard that name full blest he was another Margaret Green oft did he say was come to goldrill's side o oh, pang unthought of as the precious boon itself had been unlooked for o oh, dire stroke of desolating anguish for them all just as the child could totter on the floor, and by some friendly fingers help upstaid, range round the garden-walk, while she perchance was catching at some novelty of spring, ground-flower, or glossy insect from its cell drawn by the sunshine, at that hopeful season the winds of March, smiting insidiously, raised in the tender passage of the throat viewless obstruction, whence all unforewarned the household lost their pride and souls delight. But time hath power to soften all regrets, and prayer and thought can bring to worst distress due resignation. Therefore though some tears fail not to spring from either parent's eye oft as they hear of sorrow like their own, yet this departed little one, too long the innocent troubler of their quiet, sleeps in what may now be called a peaceful bed. On a bright day, so calm and bright, it seemed to us with our sad spirits, heavenly fair, these mountains echoed to an unknown sound—a volley, thrice repeated o'er the course let down into the hollow of that grave, while shelving sides are red with naked mould. Ye rains of April duly wet this earth. Spare, burning sun of midsummer, these sods, that they may knit together, and therewith our thoughts unite in kindred quietness. Nor so the valley shall forget her loss, dear youth, by young and old alike beloved, as to me as precious as my own. Green herbs may creep, I wish that they would softly creep, over thy last abode, and we may pass reminded less imperiously of thee. The ridge itself may sink into the breast of earth, the great abyss, and be no more yet shall not thy remembrance leave our hearts, thy image disappear. The mountain-ash no eye can overlook, when mid a grove of yet unfaded trees she lifts her head, decked with autumnal berries, that outshine spring's richest blossoms. And ye may have marked, by a brookside or solitary tarn, how she her station doth adorn. The pool glows at her feet, and all the gloomy rocks are brightened round her. In his native vale such and so glorious did this youth appear. A sight that kindled pleasure in all hearts by his ingenuous beauty, by the gleam of his fair eyes, by his capacious brow, by all the graces with which nature's hand had lavishly arrayed him. As old bards tell in their idle songs of wandering gods, Pan or Apollo, veiled in human form, Yet, like the sweet-breathed violet of the shade discovered in their own despite to sense of mortals, if such fables without blame may find chance mention on this sacred ground, so through a simple rustic garb's disguise, and through the impediment of rural cares, in him revealed a scholar's genius shone. And so, not wholly hidden from men's sight, in him the spirit of a hero walked our unpretending valley. How the quoit, whizzed from the stripling's arm. If touched by him, the inglorious football mounted to the pitch of the lark's flight, or shaped a rainbow curve, aloft, in prospect of the shouting field. The indefatigable Fox had learned to dread his perseverance in the chase. With admiration would he lift his eyes to the wide-ruling eagle, and his head was loath to assault the majesty he loved. Else had the strongest fastnesses prove weak to guard the royal brood, the sailing gleed, the wheeling swallow, and the darting snipe. The sportive sea-gull dancing with the waves and cautious waterfowl from distant climes fixed at their seat the centre of the mere, were subject to young Oswald's steady aim, and lived by his forbearance. From the coast of France a boastful tyrant hurled his threats—our country marked the preparation vast of hostile forces—and she called, with voice that filled her plains, that reached her utmost shores, and in remotest vales was heard to arms. Then, for the first time, here you might have seen the shepherd's grey to martial scarlet changed, that flashed uncouthly through the woods and fields. Ten hardy striplings, all in bright attire, and graced with shining weapons, weakly marched. From this lone valley to a central spot where, in assemblage with the flower and choice of the surrounding district, they might learn the rudiments of war. 10. Hardy, strong, and valiant. But young Oswald, like a chief and yet a modest comrade, led them forth from their shy solitude, to face the world with a gay confidence and seemly pride measuring the soil beneath their happy feet like youths released from labour and yet bound to most laborious service though to them a festival of unencumbered ease the inner spirit keeping holiday like vernal ground to sabbath sunshine left oft have i marked him at some leisure hour stretched on the grass or seated in the shade Among his fellows, while an ample map before their eyes lay carefully outspread. From the gallant teacher would discourse, now pointing this way and now that. Here flows, thus would he say, the Rhine, that famous stream. Eastward the Danube toward this inland sea. A mightier river winds from realm to realm, and like a serpent shows his glittering back bespotted with innumerable isles. Here reigns the Russian there the Turk, observe his capital city. Thence along a tract of livelier interest to his hopes and fears his finger moved, distinguishing the spots where widespread conflict then most fiercely raged, nor left unstigmatized those fatal fields on which the sons of mighty Germany were taught a base submission. Here behold a nobler race, the Switzers, and their land vales deeper far than these of ours, huge woods, and mountains white with everlasting snow. And surely he that spake with kindling brow was a true patriot, hopeful as the best of that young peasantry, who in our days have fought and perished for Helvetia's rights. Ah, not in vain, or those who in old time for work of happier issue to the side of Tell came trooping from a thousand huts when he had risen alone no braver youth descended from judean heights to march with righteous joshua nor appeared in arms when grove was felled and altar was cast down and gideon blew the trumpet soul inflamed and strong in hatred of idolatry the pastor even as if by these last words raised from his seat within the chosen shade moved toward the grave instinctively his steps we followed and my voice with joy exclaimed, Power to the oppressors of the world is given, A might of which they dream not, O the curse, to be the awakener of divinest thoughts, Father and founder of exalted deeds, And, to whole nations bound in servile straits, The liberal donor of capacities more than heroic. This to be, nor yet have sense of one connatural wish, Nor yet deserve the least return of human thanks, winning no recompense but deadly hate with pity mixed astonishment with scorn when this involuntary strain had ceased the pastor said so providence is served the forked weapon of the skies can send illumination into deep dark holds which the mild sunbeam hath not power to pierce ye thrones that have defied remorse and cast pity away soon shall ye quake with fear for not unconscious of the mighty debt which to outrageous wrong the sufferer owes, Europe, through all her habitable bounds, is thirsting for their overthrow, who yet survive, as pagan temples stood of yore by horror of their impious rites preserved, are still permitted to extend their pride, like cedars on the top of Lebanon darkening the sun. But less impatient thoughts, and love all-hoping and expecting all, this hallowed grave demands where rests in peace a humble champion of the better cause—a peasant youth, so call him, for he asked no higher name. In Whom Our Country Showed, as in a Favourite Sun, Most Beautiful. In spite of vice and misery and disease, spread with the spreading of her wealthy arts, England, the ancient and the free appeared in him to stand before my swimming eyes, unconquerably virtuous and secure. No more of this, lest I offend his dust. Short was his life, and a brief tale remains. One day, a summer's day of annual pomp and solemn chase, from morn to sultry noon, his steps had followed, fleetest of the fleet, the red-deer driven along its native heights, with cry of hound and horn and from that toil returned with sinews weakened and relaxed, this generous youth, too negligent of self, plunged, mid a gay and busy throng convened to wash the fleeces of his father's flock, into the chilling flood. Convulsions dire seized him that self-same night, and through the space of twelve ensuing days his frame was wrenched, till nature rested from her work in death. To him, thus snatched away, his comrades paid a soldier's honours. At his funeral hour bright was the sun, the sky a cloudless blue. A golden lustre slept upon the hills, and if by chance a stranger, wandering there from some commanding eminence, had looked down on this spot, well pleased would he have seen a glittering spectacle. But every face was pallid, seldom hath that eye been moist with tears that wept not then, nor were the few, who from their dwellings came not forth to join in this sad service less disturbed than we. They started at the tributary peal of instantaneous thunder, which announced through the still air the closing of the grave, and distant mountains echoed with a sound of lamentation never heard before. The pastor ceased. My venerable friend victoriously upraised his clear bright eye. And when that eulogy was ended stood and rapt, as if his inward sense perceived the prolongation of some still response sent by the ancient soul of this wide land, the spirit of its mountains and its seas, its cities, temples, fields, its awful power, its rights and virtues, by that deity descending and supporting his pure heart with patriotic confidence and joy. And at the last of those memorial words, the pining solitary turned aside. Whether through manly instinct to conceal tender emotions spreading from the heart to his worn cheek, or with uneasy shame for those cold humours of habitual spleen that, fondly seeking in dispraise of man, solace, and self-excuse, had sometimes urged to self-abuse a not ineloquent tongue, right toward the sacred edifice his steps had been directed and we saw him now intent upon a monumental stone whose uncouth form was grafted on the wall or rather seemed to have grown into the side of the rude pile as oft-times trunks of trees where nature works in wild and craggy spots are seen incorporate with the living rock to endure for aye the vicar taking note of his employment with a courteous smile exclaimed the sagest antiquarian's eye that task would foil. Then, letting fall his voice while he advanced, thus spake. Tradition tells that, in Eliza's golden days, a knight came on a war-horse sumptuously attired, and fixed his home on this sequestered vale. Tis left untold if here he first drew breath, or as a stranger reached this deep recess, unknowing and unknown. A pleasing thought I sometimes entertain, that haply bound to Scotland's court in service of his Queen, or sent on mission to some northern chief of England's realm, this veil he might have seen with transient observation. And thence caught an image fair which brightening in his soul, when joy of war and pride of chivalry languished beneath accumulated years, had power to draw him from the world resolved to make that paradise his chosen home to which his peaceful fancy oft had turned vague thoughts are these but if belief may rest upon unwritten story fondly traced from sire to son in this obscure retreat the knight arrived with spear and shield and borne upon a charger gorgeously bedecked with broidered housings and the lofty steed his sole companion and his faithful friend whom he in gratitude let loose to range in fertile pastures, was beheld with eyes of admiration and delightful awe, by those untravelled dalesmen. With less pride, yet free from touch of envious discontent, they saw a mansion at his bidding rise, like a bright star amid the lowly band of their rude homesteads. Here the warrior dwelt. And in that mansion children of his own, or kindred, gathered round him. As a tree that falls and disappears the house is gone, and, through improvidence or want of love for ancient worth and honourable things, the spear and shield are vanished, which the knight hung in his rustic hall. One ivied arch myself have seen, a gateway, last remains of that foundation in domestic care raised by his hands. And now no trace is left of the mild-hearted champion save this stone, faithless memorial, and his family name borne by yon clustering cottages that sprang from out the ruins of his stately lodge. These, and the name and title at full length, Sir Alfred Earthing, with appropriate words accompanied, still extant, in a wreath or posy girding round the several fronts of three clear-sounding and harmonious bells, that in the steeple hang, his pious gift. So fails, so languishes, grows dim, and dies, the gray-haired wanderer pensively exclaimed. All that this world is proud of, from their spheres the stars of human glory are cast down. Perish the roses and the flowers of kings, princes and emperors, and the crowns and palms of all the mighty, withered and consumed. Nor is power given to lowliest innocence long to protect her own. The man himself departs and soon is spent the line of those who, in the bodily image, in the mind, in heart or soul, in station or pursuit, did most resemble him. Degrees and ranks, fraternities and orders, heaping high new wealth upon the burthen of the old, and placing trust in privilege confirmed and reconfirmed, are scoffed at with a smile of greedy foretaste, from the secret stand of desolation aimed. To slow decline these yield and these to sudden overthrow. Their virtue, service, happiness, and state expire, and nature's pleasant robe of green, humanity's appointed shroud, and wraps their monuments and their memory. The vast frame of social nature changes evermore her organs and her members, with decay restless, and restless generation, powers and functions dying and produced at need. And by this law the mighty whole subsists with an ascent and progress in the main. Yet, oh, how disproportioned to the hopes and expectations of self-flattering minds! The courteous knight, whose bones are here interred, lived in an age conspicuous as our own for strife and ferment in the minds of men. Whence alteration in the forms of things various and vast—a memorable age which did to him assign a pensive lot, to linger mid the last of those bright clouds that on the steady breeze of honor sailed in long procession calm and beautiful. He who had seen his own bright order fade, and its devotion gradually decline, while war relinquishing the lance and shield her temper changed, and bowed to other laws, had also witnessed in his morn of life that violent commotion which o'erthrew in town and city and sequestered glen, altar and cross, and church of solemn roof, and old religious house, pile after pile, and shook their tenants out into the fields, like wild beasts without home. Their hour was come. But why no softening thought of gratitude, no just remembrance, scruple, or wise doubt? Benevolence is mild, nor borrows help save at worst need, from bold impetuous force, fitliest allied to anger and revenge. But humankind rejoices in the might of mutability, and airy hopes, dancing around her, hinder and disturb those meditations of the soul that feed the retrospective virtues. Festive songs break from the maddened nations at the sight of sudden overthrow, and cold neglect is the sure consequence of slow decay. Even, said the wanderer, as that courteous knight, bound by his vow to labour for redress of all who suffer wrong, and to enact by sword and lance the law of gentleness, if I may venture of myself to speak, trusting that not incongruously I blend low things with lofty, I too shall be doomed to outlive the kindly use and fair esteem of the poor calling which my youth embraced with no unworthy prospect but enough thoughts crowd upon me and twere seemlier now to stop and yield our gracious teacher thanks for the pathetic records which his voice hath here delivered words of heartfelt truth tending to patience when affliction strikes to hope and love to confident repose in god and reverence for the dust of man end of book part two recording by bill borst